Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. You know, I was reflecting today with the teens in, my, uh, in, in the Bible class. I was saying, you know, I used to do my very best to say Happy Mother's Day when I was a kid and when I was younger, but it really is pretty difficult for me not to say Happy Mother's Day uh, or it's, it's difficult for me to put into words how thankful I am to my mom while I watch Catherine be a mom to our kids. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but when I see just how much she does for them, it just kind of blows my mind to think about how little I knew that my mom did that for me when I was a kid. Not just when you're an infant and you literally know nothing, but even when I was a high schooler and, you know, just... Uh, had a certain feeling of like, yeah, well, you know, she's my mom. You know, she's supposed to do that. But when I'm on this side of it and I see the way Catherine takes care of our kids, it's really just truly amazing. And, and I appreciate what Johnny said so much that many, many, many of us here are here because of spiritual mothers in our lives. Whether they were our biological moms or grandmothers or not, we, all of us, can think of ways in which we have spiritual mothers here. I like to joke... Uh, People comment often that Landry Joe has a little bit of a southern twang in her voice. And Catherine and I don't have much of a, a southern accent. And uh, I think it's because she has a lot of spiritual moms that teach her classes all the time that have a little bit of a twang. And uh, I'm really thankful for each and every one of them who does that. Um, I also want to make sure I say before we start that uh, I know that today can be a really painful day for a lot of people. I know many moms who don't come to church today because or many women who don't come to church on this day because they don't like to be reminded that they haven't been able to have kids. And I applaud each and every one of you who have decided to come, and it, whether you're watching online, uh, knowing that that's a really difficult thing. And I also want to say, I know that there's a lot of people that today is a brutal day because your mom's not with you anymore, and I'm thinking about you too. But in the midst of all this, I hope you know that um, we literally could not be here without our mothers. And spiritually, many of us wouldn't be here without our moms. So we want to thank all of you. Um, for the sermon, we started a series last week. Let me make sure this is on. We started a series last week. And Ryan, here's my reminder for you to start the recording. Okay. Um, this series uh, I titled is The Powerful and the Powerless. And we, we read last week about the, the Christ hymn, of Christ emptying himself. And I mentioned to you that this artwork was actually made by one of the students from my youth group, and she's here today. So y'all need to come and make sure you say hi. Yeah, give her a round of applause. I have, there are four girls that were in my youth group at Katie that are here today. Two that are 23 and two that are in college still. So it kind of makes me feel older. Um, but uh, anyway, um, before I get into the message... Uh, how many of you, uh, most all of us, when you were in school, you had a thing called recess, right? Everybody had recess? Um, when I was in school, it was called recess. Do they still call it recess, or do they give it another fancy name? It's still recess. Okay. Um, well, actually, recess is a fancy name. Like, when I was a kid, if you had asked me, why is it called recess, you know, um, I wouldn't have known. But one of my most vivid memory, memories of recess was whatever the sport was, two people, and this was, this is so much like... Uh, a, a crazy example of how kids, we, no one taught us this, but we knew at a young age, we're making teams and there's going to be two team captains. You know what I mean? Like you never sat in a class one day and they were like, all right, kids, this is how you play kickball. You get two team captains and then you pick. But, it, but we all at some point or another learned you got two people and they're going to pick who's on their team. 
And I want you to think about, some of you might have really pleasant memories of that, and some of you might have really, really not fun memories of that. Because some of you sitting here were the person picking. Some of you here was like the third person picked on the team. Some of you here might have been the first person. Oh, I'm taking Jason, you know. Oh, we're playing tennis, I'm taking Kenna. You know, like, uh, and then some of you were, you got down to the end and it was almost like, uh, whose last pick is it? Oh, you know what, they can just be on your team. You know what I mean? And that's a pretty brutal thing for a lot of kids, you know what I mean? It's pretty rough to be the last one. And I remember, this will show you how I was as a kid, I remember I had a rule that whenever we were in, in like middle school, I would say every other pick had to be a girl. I'd always say that because I hated it whenever all the girls were the last picks. Um, and uh, I remember that when I was like a seventh grader. I'd be like, no, 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 it's a rule. It's got to be boy, girl, boy, girl. But um, anyway, the reason I bring all this up is, is when we pick teams, Usually, if I'm picking a team, I'm trying to think through who is going to be the person who's going to what? Who's going to help me win, right? Who's the person that I'm most likely can kick the ball the furthest in kickball? Who's the one that's the best thrower in football? Who's the one that's the best shooter in basketball or rebounder? And the reason I bring all this up is today you're going to see in our, our passage a really interesting thing where when we pick teams... We pick people that we really want to help us win. And yet from the very beginning of Scripture, starting on page 1, God tells us that when He creates us, He has picked us to be on His team. He has picked us. He said, I want you to be on my team. The words He says is, I want you to serve and rule and reign with me as my image bearers. And isn't it interesting sometimes that God could have picked a lot better people to be on His team than you and I? You know what I mean? If he's going to pick somebody, why on earth would he have picked me to be able to do all the things that he wants to accomplish? But he does. And we're going to read today from Psalm 8, and you're going to see the psalm articulate this. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. And this, uh, we sang the beginning of this this morning. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and you have crowned them with honor or with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You see what the the psalmist is saying? They're they're saying, it's incredible, God, when I look at your creation, the heavens that you've created, and yet you're mindful of us. And not just that, you, you made us and you've crowned us to be, as he says, you've crowned us with glory and you've made us rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, so I kind of got to give a little bit of background for this psalm to help you understand something. I've, I've said this before, but the book of Psalms is broken up into, the, the book that we call the Psalms has categories. If you read in your Bible, you can see them like on page, uh, on the very first psalm above it, it'll say book one, Psalms 1 through 41. So there's five books in Psalms, and that's meant to reflect the five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But anyway, each of these books 
breaks down into smaller and smaller subsections. And in this section of Psalm 8, what we just read, Psalms begin, Psalms 1 and 2 begin with an introduction about how God promises to deal with the violence and the corruption of the world by raising an anointed king and Messiah. If any of you are like, what? I thought the Psalms were just like happy poetry. Okay, I understand. You're just going to have to take me for my word. But the beginning of Psalms begins with God foreshadowing an anointed Messiah king that will come, that he's going to raise up to deal with the violence and the corruption of the world. And then this section that we have here from Psalm 3 to 14 with Psalm 8 right in the middle. Psalm 3 through 7, the first half of that, it talks about and it deals with King David's story of when he was powerless and when he was having to hide from his enemies and he's crying out to God for help, feeling very helpless, running from King Saul. Then you have Psalm 8, which we just read. And then on the other side, after Psalm 8, comes a group of people called the poor and afflicted ones. In all of those Psalms, the theme over and over is said of the poor and the afflicted ones who are crying out for, to God for help. So I need you to just take me at my word on this. But Psalms 3 through 14 is a collection of Psalms about powerless and weak people crying out to God. And yet, God chooses them to help him rule the world. And Psalm 8 is exactly in the middle of this collection. Psalm 8, right here in the middle, is talking about, and is, it's very important that it's in the center, because it's looking back at the Psalms before and pointing towards the Psalms ahead. And so we have this really weird phrase in Psalm 8 that many of you have probably just read over before. But I want you to read it again and think of this. This is almost like a riddle in this psalm, okay? He says... Where is it? Right here. Okay, verse 2. Through the praise, or I'll, I'll read it from the screen. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold to stop the enemy and the avenger. If anybody who wasn't a Christian just read that, they'd say, wait, what on earth is that saying? Is that saying from the babbling noises of an infant? By the way, this right here is a great sermon for if ever you're worried about your baby making too much noise in church, don't be. Because guess what? We want that. Because as the psalm says, is that from the mouth of infants and from nursing babies, that is where God is going to establish a stronghold. And you're like, that seems a little weird. And then he even says, not just a stronghold, but a stronghold that will stop the enemy and the avenger. And so the things that you're supposed to see from this is you're supposed to see that when God picks his team, God picks the powerless ones to be on it. He's saying in this psalm, the person that I'm going to use, the people that I'm going to use to establish my stronghold are nursing babies and infants. Literally the most helpless, weakest people on the earth, right? Right? There's nobody that's more helpless than a nursing baby. And God says, that's who I'm going to use to build a stronghold through. He even says later, he says this, you have made them a little lower than the angels. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? And yet you have crowned them with glory and made them rulers. It's another example of, we've got these babies that are like helpless, that are going to be a stronghold, and you've got us people that are just nobodies in comparison to the skies and the heavens, and yet you've made us to be your rulers. And the second thing that Psalm 8 foreshadows talking about this anointed Messiah and this king, is that the coming promised king will also come in weakness, in affliction. 
when Yahweh comes to his people, how is he going to arrive? Because like I told you, the beginning of Psalms is all about how God is going to send his anointed representative, his Messiah, to deal with the corruption and problems in the world. And the very next passage is talking about his people, King David, and these poor and afflicted ones crying out for help. And you're supposed to see these are the people God is going to say, my coming anointed king will come in weakness and in affliction. So let's turn. One thing that you're, you may not know, but Psalm 8 that we just read is actually something that Paul and Jesus quote fairly often. So let's go to one of the examples in our scripture of Jesus quoting from, from this psalm. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21, we're going to read from here and kind of skip around a little bit. But a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. So you all know, if, if you're not familiar, this is the scene where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and we call it the triumphal entry because he's being greeted like a king and yet he's marching towards his own death on the cross. And so he's coming into town. People are, are cutting branches and they're spreading, their, spreading them on the road and the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. We sang this at the beginning of our service. Oh, Hosanna in the highest. Okay. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, let me make sure. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Did you hear what these children are saying? They asked him, and this is what Jesus replied. Yes, have you never read, and he quotes from Psalm 8, from the lips of children and infants, from infants and nursing babies, the Lord has called forth your praise. You, O Lord, have called forth your praise. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying, you remember that Psalm that y'all all say you know about? How God is going to establish his stronghold and his Messiah is going to be established through the powerless ones? Well, guess what? These children know what it's about. These children who are proclaiming me, they're the ones that are saying, here comes the Messiah, here comes the King, the Son of David. And the point that you're supposed to see in this, Jesus is doing such an awesome job here. Uh, you know, he's amazing how he, you know, he's so smart like this. But what he's doing is he's saying, you see all these teachers and Pharisees? They are the most powerful people in their spectrum. Nobody in that sphere was more powerful than, than them. And they are the ones that can't recognize Jesus is coming. Okay? They're the ones that see the Son of David coming, and they're like, what's going on with this guy? Like, can, can you believe what these people are saying about this Jesus character? And Jesus is saying, you powerful ones, you don't see it. Because when the king comes, he's not coming on the, the train of the powerful. He's coming on the, the trails of the powerless and in the name of the powerless and the weak and the helpless. And Jesus uses Psalm 8 to say that God is going to enthrone a new king and a Messiah. And the powerful ones, the Pharisees, are going to be really angry. But the powerless ones, the children and the infants, are declaring the coming of the king. And so what I want you to hear, and this is the, one of the big takeaways from this sermon and this whole series. I mentioned on Wednesday night, I said, uh, one thing that's funny about this series. Do you all remember when I preached the series on the test? 
And I looked through different stories in scripture on how God's people were maybe went through a testing season. One thing I warned y'all that's a little bit of a bummer is that every one of those sermons is going to have the same takeaway point. It's just a different sermon to get to the same ending. And this series is going to be an awful lot like that. A lot of sermons to get to this same final answer. We follow the powerless king who raises up and protects powerless people. Okay? When Jesus comes and he says, don't you know, the children and the powerless ones are the ones that are going to see me coming. Don't you know that it's the, the anointed king that God's bringing? All along, we've seen, even all the way back to Psalms, has been foreshadowed as one who is going to come in powerlessness and in meekness. And he's the one that just with those poor and afflicted ones in the Psalms, just with King David feeling helpless, God is with those people and is going to help raise them up. And so what I want you to hear me say, this sermon and every sermon, is that throughout our daily life, throughout our going through our jobs and our interacting with people in our lives, you are going to have many, many moments where you're trying to figure out, okay, God, I'm looking at this and I'm trying to figure out where you want me to be in this. I'm praying, God, for your will on where, how you want me to act in this situation. How do you want me to help? How do you want me to be your image bearers in this situation? And what I want to tell you is one good litmus test to decide. There's a lot of good litmus tests, by the way. One is, what would Jesus do? That's a good one. Another good litmus test is, where is love in this situation? And if you think love looks like this more than this other one, then that's probably what Jesus would want you to do. But I'm going to add another litmus test to your tool belt of trying to discern God's will for a situation. If there is a situation where there are powerful people and powerless people, you're going to find Jesus on the powerless side. Okay? I'm going to say that again. If there are powerful people using their power to influence, and if there are powerless people that are feeling incredibly helpless, we have a God and a Messiah who say, you're going to find me among them, and I'm going to raise them up. And we have good news in that. Because even though we try as best we can to put on a face and a mask that says we have everything all together, that our lives are perfect, that we never make mistakes, that we've got it all together, we know that each and every one of us truly deep down feels an immense amount of brokenness and powerlessness to do the things we want. Many of you have had children that you've prayed for earnestly, that you felt incredibly helpless to help them. Amen? Many of you have had spouses that you felt incredibly helpless in trying to help them. Amen? And the good news is that Jesus is right beside you because you are powerless. And praise God, we have a Messiah who came and emptied his power, joined us in our powerlessness, and who God raised to the highest place. And if we have a relationship with him, then we get to be there right there with him in the kingdom of God someday, right there with all God's people that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. If any of you would like to pray about anything, if you feel powerless and helpless and you'd like our prayers, elders are going to be standing at the doors. And if any of you would like to talk about what it means to join this Messiah and get to know Christ more, we'd love to talk with you either now or we talk with you this week or later on. And I'd encourage you to do that while we stand and while we sing.